Hello, Rosetta family. Justin Allman here again, and I'm back with Pastor Dan Flanagan. And last week, he started a study with us through the book of Colossians. Hopefully, you've had an opportunity to listen to that uh, and even re-listen through our website or our Facebook page. And so I want to sit down with, with Pastor Dan here and uh, take a look um, at the content in that book and some other things we need to know. So, Dan, I guess as we look at Colossians, what are some things we need to know just about the book in general? Yeah, so I guess some like introductory comments you would make on the book is, again, it's one of uh, Paul's prison epistles. So Paul is in prison while he's writing this. And he gives the letter to uh, Onesimus. He gives actually this letter and uh, the letter to Philemon um, to Onesimus to to deliver while he's in uh, prison in Rome. And uh, what's really cool about the, the Colossian church is that Paul didn't start it. Uh, so we'll, we'll learn about Epaphras a little bit as we continue to study. And Epaphras is actually the like one of the elders of that church that started the church. Um, and so Epaphras comes back to Paul in jail uh, and tells him about this church for the first time ever <laughs> and, and then asks for help pretty much. And that's what the whole book of Colossians is, is first off, Paul commending uh, Epaphras and the church for their growth on their own because he didn't plant the church. Um and number two, correcting what was wrong in the church. Uh, and so, let's see. And this would be a city, um, Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. Yep. Right? And you said Paul was in prison, so this would um, that time frame would have been roughly 60s A.D., somewhere in there? Yeah, approximately 62 A.D. We don't know exact, exact, but sometime around then. Mm-hmm. And so this would be, you know, roughly 30 years after Christ's resurrection. Mm. And, you know, we... Looking back in history, this is actually only a couple of years before Paul will be um, executed for his faith, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, somewhere between like two to five years after Paul writes this letter, he will actually his life will be ended, and that'll be the end of Paul uh, as we know it. Mm-hmm. And so he's writing this letter to a church that would be Greek, right? They're not Jewish. They don't um, grew up um, like in Jerusalem and with the familiarity of the Old Testament that like the Pharisees had, right? Is this kind of new material to them or kind of what does that look like? Yeah. And so um, a lot of uh, this church is going to be primarily Greek. And you're right. They won't have like the 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 history with the Old Testament or God's scriptures already. Um, and so that's why it's even more important that they have a right Christology or a right n- knowledge of God. Christ and his works and his person, because uh, if they don't, then they're going to miss what what uh, Paul is going to argue is the fulcrum that everything balances on uh, or, or the cornerstone upon which everything is built on. Sure. So anything else to add to the purpose of Colossians? You said primarily Epaphras comes and there's this heresy, right? Yeah. And so pretty much the 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 the, the dangerous teaching of, of, of the Colossian church is one that lessened Christ's role uh, and undermined the new identity of the believer in Christ. Those are the primary things that that were dangerous. And what, as we study, we'll get into all the, the different details and nuances of what that means and what was being attacked. Um, but pretty much the idea is that we're trying to emphasize Christ's authority over all, including the evil, the good, the bad, the ugly, Christ is over everything. And because he's over everything and he lives inside of me, how do I live in light of that? Sure. No, it makes sense. Uh, so what else are we hoping to learn or gain as we study Colossians together? 
Yeah, so I think the three things I would say that uh, I would highlight would be, number one, again, the preeminence of Christ in everything. Um, you can never, ever focus on Christ too much in our faith. That, that's never a thing. There's people that can say, like, uh, the gospel is, is old or the gospel is for people that need to be saved, etc. But really, uh, the gospel is something that you and I need every day when we wake up. <laughs> we need to be reminded. Because if, we, if we're not reminded of that, you and I have a natural bent towards a works mentality. And so if we don't renew our mind in the truth of the gospel every morning, we will wake up and suppose ourselves to be self-righteous and try to be righteous in our own uh, ability. So that'd be number one. Okay, well, and actually, let me let me butt in here. And when we talk about the gospel, we have folks that have um, attended church all their lives, and, mm-hmm. and they're very familiar with this, maybe heard it every Sunday. But then there might be folks that the faith is brand new to them, or they're yeah. just being introduced to it. So when we talk about the gospel, the good news— um, Give me the elevator. You know, I'm getting an elevator with you. We've got 30 seconds. What's the gospel? Yeah, the gospel is that you are a desperate sinner in need of a mighty Savior. That God is perfectly holy and you are perfectly unholy. That you cannot fix yourself. You cannot save yourself. Eternity is in the, is in the balance here. And a gracious God has humbled himself to become a man, live a perfect life and die for you. That all he requires of you is that you repent of your sin, you turn from your sin, and believe in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you confess him as Lord and Savior, you're saved. It's really that simple. But just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. And a lot of people that are not saved don't want the gospel because the gospel requires them to turn from their sin. And they love their sin. That's the key issue. I like it. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Okay, so we talked about the preeminence of Christ, yeah. and that's a, that's a big theme in Colossians and how, okay, now that we understand the role that Christ has you know, in our lives and, and what that looks like, how are our lives changed? Yeah. And then what are the, the other main thrusts or ideas in Colossians? Yeah, so there's going to be two or two or three other extra ones that are going to be really good. Uh, the second one will be, we'll get a better, uh, the I'll give you the technical term first, uh, hamartiology. We're going to get a, a better uh, understanding of sin. That's the theology of sin. That's the understanding of what sin is. Um, so as we go into Colossians, we'll get to look at uh, some different sins and different uh, things that we trust in that are not Christ. And Paul will line them up one at a time, kind of like bowling pins, and then just knock them over for us uh, very easily because we need that. Um, and also in that, too, what, what we'll end up doing is we'll end up uh, – unmasking the spiritual umpires (laughs) that we are, as well as the ones that are in the church. Because what's really easy is to look at uh, the guy that uh, is on his front porch smoking a cigarette and drinking a six-pack of beer and say, that guy's not sanctified. But the question that Colossians will approach you with is, what gives you the right to judge that man's sanctification off of that? And you might be able to stipulate a couple of things and be like, well, like stewardship and like, and then like suffer. Like the, there's probably some things you could try to hold on to. But what Colossians is going to discourage you from is, is from trying to put the umpire hat on yourself and judge someone's sanctification off of uh, things that are not explicitly sins in Scripture. Okay. Uh, I think there's a story in the Bible, maybe I'm wrong, about someone praying and say, well, God, at least I'm not like this person. Right. Yeah, That's yeah, an example yeah. of what not to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so use the word sanctified. Let's let's unpack that a little bit. Okay. What, what does that mean? Yeah, sanctified is uh, 
So actually, I'll go a little deeper. So sanctified is the middle portion of salvation, right? So salvation is three-part. We have justification, then we have sanctification, and then we have glorification. Uh, so justification, so you have, you have to understand this to understand sanctification. <laughs> so justification first. Justification is the freedom from the penalty of your sin. So justification is when Christ's righteousness is, is, is put over you, is co- it covers you, so you no longer are penalized or are in trouble for um, your sin. You will no longer be judged by that. So that's stage one, right? And that's instantaneous. It, it happens in a moment and it's done. It's one and done. Sanctification is our continuous freedom from the power of sin in our lives. And so daily, you and I are freed from the power of sin in our lives as God continues to help us. And as Colossians will show us, putting on the new self and putting off the old self. So um, no longer follow the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Correct. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And then glorification is our final one. And that's the most beautiful. That's the blessed hope we hold on to. Glorification is freedom from the very presence of sin where sin will not even be something that will tempt you anymore. Sin will not be something that destroys your life or the other the lives of others around you. You won't even see it. And how beautiful that will be to be in perfect bliss, where even the presence of sin in you and around you is completely gone. And you're talking the future state of when the Lord returns or heaven, the new heaven and new earth. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So sanctification... Once we place our trust in Christ is a process that happens in our lives until ultimately we're with Christ. Oh, yeah. Till kingdom come. Okay. All right. So that kind of addresses you talked about the preeminence of Christ. We talked about the doctrine of sin and, and sanctification and that type of thing. And then is there a third one in Colossians? Yeah. So there's two more. Uh, the, the, so the second one's going to be uh, God's plan for the family. Uh, and man, it, we're, it, it's so funny because uh, each aspect of the family Paul uses pretty much only one verse <laughs> to, to, to give the responsibilities and the role in a complete package. And so when we get to there, we'll probably slow down a little bit and kind of unpack what that means. And, and again, what God's word has to say, because that's important, especially because the family unit is one of the most attacked and most hated by the world currently. And why is that? Well, because the family unit is one of God's design for marriage which is, again, this beautiful picture of the gospel. It's this beautiful picture of, the, of, of, of Christ and the church. But also, again, for the, the parents and children, uh, which is God's plan for salvation for kiddos. And also God's plan for sanctification for parents. <laughs> and so there's these, there's these giant uh, cornerstones uh, of, 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 of uh, you would say, the world and, and, and the world order that are built into the family. And if the family is not properly operated, if the family is not uh, honored in the way it should be, then everything else falls apart. Mm-hmm. And so what we'll see is God's plan for the family uh, in, our, in, our, in our third point there. Let's cool. See. Does that cover it or are there any more? Uh, yeah, and then the last one will be uh, Paul. Paul will end with, and actually kind of begins with, this idea of because Christ is preeminent and because of him being inside of us, you and I's response must be one of prayer and thankfulness. That must be our response. And we'll talk about how hard that is. 
and how even when we know right, it's hard to do right in that area. Uh, there are things I wish I did that I don't do and things that I shouldn't do that I do. Yeah. Do, right. Yeah. Romans seven. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. So that's Colossians. Now, in our church family, we may have some people that are audio learners, or we may have some that prefer to read books, right? Yeah. So do you have any recommended books or materials or resources that as we work through Colossians over the next handful of months, that if someone wants to do extra studying or extra reading, what are things they could check out? Yeah. So I'll give you uh, three recommended books here. Uh, the first one's going to be called The Preeminent Christ by Paul Washer. This will be your easiest book get, to get through because it's only 112 pages, um, but it's going to be really good, especially when we when we're going through this first chapter or two, um, to to help ground you in something, in in, the, in this truth of who Christ is. Uh, the second one would be uh, Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. Uh, that one's going to be our biggest book at 288 pages. Um, but, uh, that one is going to be so good because it's so easy for you and I to look at the more heinous sins and, and, and compare and contrast and say like, well, I don't do those ones. Uh, but I, I, but not understand that my respectable sins or my, my sins that aren't as heinous, it feels like, or as terrible are just as bad to God. Yeah. The common example is everyone says, well, at least I'm not Hitler. Yeah. (laughs) At least I didn't kill millions of people or Stalin or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, any of these we look at evil people throughout history, but then you have to understand we're all into sin. My mother conceived me, right? Yeah. You know, we're all sinners um, yeah. and it's all equal. Yeah. 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 It's Psalm 51. And so, um, so we got the preeminence Christ. You said that's the most approachable one, roughly a hundred pages, respectable sins, addressing the idea of, um, what we think of as respectable sins and, and not. Yeah, and yeah. then you said you had a, a third one for us? Yeah, so the last one, and again, we'll get into this in Colossians 3, so I kind of put these in the order that we'll get to them topically. Um, and so that the last one's going to be called The Fulfilled Family by John MacArthur. And this one's 144 pages. And again, this will give you a good backbone um, for what we'll be communicating about when we go into God's plan for the family. And again, that's kind of the cornerstone of of the church relationships in many ways, because you and I, again, learn how to respect and honor authority uh, when our father is over us in the home. And thus, we then learn how to respect and honor the authority of the church, because God has set up authority in the church. And so we learn how to respect and honor that authority. Uh, We learn how to be uh, submit to one another and consider each other more important than ourselves, uh, etc. And those all happen within the bounds primarily and specifically and initially through the family. Sounds good. So we got the preeminence Christ, respectable sins, and the fulfilled family. I'm sure those are all available online. Like, check them out on Amazon. Oh, yeah. We'll try to get copies for the church library that folks can check out. Yeah, we'll get a handful of each of those. Um, So, yeah, there you go.